Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 5. Before you stand and we read our text, let me just remind you of what's taken place. We saw in chapter 1, Habakkuk cried unto God and said, Lord, Judah has sinned. And it don't seem like you're doing anything about it. And then God responds and he says, Oh, Habakkuk, if you only could see what I'm doing, open your eyes. He said, because I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come against you, and I'm going to use them as a tool of my grace to bring Judah to repentance. And Habakkuk responded. And you say, well, how did he respond? Well, in Tennessee mountain language, here's the way he responds. Are you serious? And Habakkuk said to God, God, you can't do that. You see, God, you are of too pure of eyes to look upon evil, much less use somebody more wicked than we are. And then Habakkuk climbed his watchtower and began to watch in case the Chaldeans come until he got an answer from God concerning his complaint. And then God answered. And when God answered, God said, listen, I know their sin, and I know it very well. And the unrighteous will not prosper, but the just shall live by. So you've got to trust me that I know what I'm doing. Now, when you get to verse 5 through the rest of the chapter, verse 20, here's what God tells Habakkuk, and I'm going to sum it up in just a couple statements. God tells Habakkuk, he said, listen, Habakkuk, not only do I not know of their sin, but I'm going to lay out how I see their sin. And when I lay out how I see their sin, here's what I'm here to tell you. It'll be their sin that'll bring them down. It'll bring their sin that'll cause them to fall. It'll be their sin that will be their judgment. And so he says, Habakkuk, I'm going to use them, but I'm going to use them to bring Judah to repentance, and then in exchange, their own sin will bring them down as well. So you say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, here's what I'm saying. God is so sovereign, he can use anything or anybody that he chooses to accomplish his divine purpose. But he's so just, he can never, ever let sin go undealt with. And so that's the two things you need to grab a hold of. Now, verse 5, he begins to unpack the sin of the Chaldeans or the sin of the Babylonians. Now, so with that being said, please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. And look at verse 5. Yea, also, because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heap unto him all people. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would manifest yourself as you take this passage and as you unpack it and give us wisdom and understanding concerning it, Father, you would use it in our lives. And Father, I pray you would use it in many people's lives that we may know. And I'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. You may be seated. Well, y'all know how to study the Bible. You look for connective terms. And so when you find here, yea, also, you know it automatically connects back to verse 4. Now, if you remember in verse 4, he gave a contrast. It's talking about Babylon. His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just, there's the contrast, shall live by faith. And so now what he's going to do is unpack what it means to not walk in uprightness versus what it looks like to walk by faith. And he's going to deal with their sin first. Now, so here's what he's going to do. He begins by...
by giving sin's activity. And he says here, he says, yea, also because he, and this he, is a definitive term. And you say, what do you mean? Well, it has a twofold purpose. And not only is it talking about Belshazzar, the one that would be over Babylon, but also talking about Babylon as a nation itself. And it says here, he has transgressed by wine. So he begins by dealing with sin's activity. Now, what does this word transgresseth by wine mean? Well, it's the same word used in chapter 1, verse 13 of Habakkuk. And it's translated there as treacherous. So in other words, he says there's the treachery of wine. And you say, what do you mean the treachery of wine? It simply means this. Wine will deceive you. And so what he's saying here is, he said that he has given himself, Babylon has given themselves, Belshazzar has given himself to wine, and that very wine has deceived him. Now, the Bible says it very clear. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So in other words, he didn't just say strong drink deceives. He said wine and strong drink deceives. Now, I'm not going to deal with wine this morning because if you want it, you can get that little booklet back on the table back there. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. Wine or that which is that Babylon has given itself to is a deceiver. Martin Luther said it this way. Wine cheats the proud man so they cannot rest nor remain where he is. And I think that's a great statement. And so what he says here is he said, here is their activity. Here's what I see, Habakkuk, about their sin. Their activity is the treachery or the deception of what they've given themselves to being wine. But I want you to listen to me today. It's not just wine that deceives. Every sin is deceptive. And it don't matter what sin it is. Sin is deceptive, and sin will deceive. I don't know how many times I've talked to people who have been in sin or rooted in sin, and they excuse that sin away on the basis of what others do or on the basis of, of in the magnitude of what they have labeled sin to be, and they've excused it away and, and They've not allowed themselves to see the depth of their sin. I want to tell you something. Sin will deceive you. It's the reason so many people are addicted to various things. There are people that are addicted to not only alcohol, drugs. People are addicted to nicotine. You say, that's not an addiction. It is. You say, how do you know it's addiction? Try to stop and see how it feels. You say, well, what does the Bible say? Listen, there should be nothing that controls you other than the person of the Holy Spirit. And I don't care if it's drug, alcohol, nicotine, or what you put your eyes on, what you watch, what you give your ears to, those things can be just as addictive. And by the way, let me just, while I'm here, let me just keep going. You doing what you want to do instead of what God wants you to do can be addictive. Your entertainment can be addictive. And so here's what he says. He said, listen, they've been intoxicated by their own sin. And this sin is treacherous to them. It's deceived them. But not only do you see the treachery of wine, but the trickery of wine. Because in that deception, here's what happens. It'll trick you into thinking something that is not true. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the reality. A, a one that is giving themselves to wine, in the case of Belshazzar here, or Babylon, here's the reality about them, if you study the book of Daniel, that they had given themselves to it, and in giving themselves to it, they didn't think that anything could touch them. 
They thought they were safe, secure, and nothing would happen to them. I want to tell you something. When you allow sin to rule and resonate in your life, you have an uncanny ability in your flesh to not only excuse it away, but you have an uncanny ability in your flesh to allow sin to convince you that you're just okay the way you are. How many agree the Bible says Satan's a liar? How many agree the Bible says that sin, that you're not tempted of sin by God, you're tempted of sin by your own desires? And how many agree that sin is a picture or a relation to the attitude and the mindset of Satan? So guess what? If Satan's a liar, then sin's a liar. And therefore, here's the reality. Not only is sin but treacherous to you, but sin is trickery unto you. Now, here's the way this word that's given to you in verse 5, transgresseth, is defined in the Hebrew. It's translated most of the time as betray. And so here's the way it really reads. Because he was betrayed by his own wife. So in other words, his own sin betrayed him. Sin deceived him, and his own sin betrayed him. See, we think that if we walk in some of these things, it'll be okay. I mean, listen, I got all my life to take care of this. I got news for you. You may not live another hour, and sin will betray you. How many of y'all ever got betrayed by a dear friend? Raise your hand if you've been betrayed somewhere down the line by a dear friend. How'd you feel about it? Did you just go, well, glory? Is that what you did? No. If I would be a guessing man, you probably got three sheets in the flesh. You probably went to your spouse or your friend and said, can you believe what they did to me? How dare them do that to me? I guarantee you, you didn't just let it go without saying something. Well, every day sin is betraying. But yeah, we don't have a problem with that. But if a friend betrays us, we got a problem with that. Well, I got news for you. However bad a friend betrayed you, sin is far, far worse. And so he says, listen, Habakkuk, you think I don't see what I, what, about this people? You think I don't understand what they're like? He said, I'm here to tell you. I understand the activity of their sin. But I want you to see, secondly, not only sin's activity, but sin's arrogance. Notice what it says. It says here, yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. So in other words, what is the cause of his pride? The sin. Notice it. He transgresseth by wine. Because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man. So in other words, he joins the two together. Because this was true, this is true. So now here's the reality. So not only does sin betray, and not only is sin going to deceive, but sin will puff up. Now, I want you to understand what this, what this means in relation to the Babylons and to the text that we have before us. What does it mean when you say sin's arrogance? Because the word proud here has that idea of arrogance. Now, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. Number one, when, when pride sets in because of sin, Listen to what I'm about to say. You become blind to the consequences of sin. How many of you agree today if we could have asked Belshazzar at the height and Nebuchadnezzar at the height of their royal reign, the consequences of the future? I want to tell you what they'd have said. Absolutely not. In other words, sin begins to puff up whereby in the reality of that you become blind to the very consequences. 
You begin to excuse them away. You begin to think differently about them. And all of a sudden, instead of bringing you to a place of brokenness and a place of awe and a place of fear, you come to the place of just saying, well, what will be, will be. And you have no idea the ramifications of what you just said. Let me give you some verses. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a what? Fall. You see, we think of pride as something where somebody pokes their shoulders back and lifts their head up, don't give you time of day, think they have all the answers, know everything about everything, and only wants to correct everybody. You would think that's pride, and that is pride. But let me tell you the epitome of pride. The epitome of pride is when you see something that is as if it's not, so it'll please your own actions. That's the epitome of pride. And when that happens, you become a proud person. In other words, let me put it to this. You want to be the king of your own kingdom. And you don't want anything or anybody to control how you live your life. Are y'all hearing me say amen? Now, you, you say, well, preacher, you say, is that who, ba yes, that's who Babylon was. Yes, that's who Belshazzar was. And God saw right through it. Jeremiah chapter 50, God speaking of, of the people of Israel. Listen to what Jeremiah says here. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord God of hosts, for thy day is, is come, and the time that I will visit thee. And I promise you, he's not talking about visiting in grace. And he said, the most proud shall stumble and fall. None shall rise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all around him. If we think lost or saved matters not, if we think we can live in sin and there's not going to be a day that you're going to have to pay the piper, you are very much a deceived individual and a prideful individual. And so this is what he says of Babylon. So not only do you see sin's arrogance in regard to blinded to consequences, but blinded to concern. And you say, what do you mean blinded to concern? Well, here's what I mean by that. Babylon did not care how their actions affected anybody else as long as they got their way and as long as they achieved their wants. Now, let me prove this to you in Scripture. I want you to turn with me to Daniel in chapter number 5. Now, I'm going to read several verses here. We'll begin reading in verse 1, and I'm going to tie these first two points together as it's chronicled in the life of Belshazzar and Babylon. So we've seen sin's activities. We're seeing sin's arrogance. Look at verse 1. How did Belshazzar get to the place that he got to? Well, look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 5. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. And Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Would y'all call that deception or what? Then brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them, and they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. So where did it all start? His sin betrayed him. Now, I'm going to say it again. It don't have to be one. It can start with any sin. Y'all remember Solomon? The Bible says he loved the Lord, but he liked to worship in high places. And he said he loved the Lord. 
forth, but he just liked to worship in high places. And that sin, that sin became a seed that destroyed Solomon. You see, it don't take much for you to get a seed of sinfulness in you. And as you let that seed begin to germinate, in other words, you don't repent of it, you don't deal with it, it manifests itself. And it manifests itself. And it manifests itself. And it becomes more deep-rooted. And it begins to deceive and deceive and deceive and deceive. So it all started with Belshazzar giving himself to wine. But drop down with me to verse number 18. So you know what happened. God wrote on the wall. How many agree? Here's a heathen king, and yet God intervenes. Aren't you glad when you and I were heathen, God intervened? So here's a heathen king, and God intervenes. God writes on the wall. You know, it's amazing to me. What all has God done in your life and my life when we were lost and when we were saved and gave ourselves to a sin? What all has God done to try to wake you up and get your attention? Aren't you glad God loves you enough to do it? Watch what God did. He wrote on the wall. And Belshazzar said, I don't have a clue what this means. So somebody go get somebody. Well, guess what? His sorcerers, magicians couldn't figure it out. So they got Daniel. And Daniel came. Look at verse 18. So Daniel is now interpreting what God has wrote on the wall. And watch what it says, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and a majesty and glory and honor. And for majesty, he gave him all people, nations, and languages, trembled, feared before him whom he would, who he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. And when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, Watch this. He said, Belshazzar, don't you remember what happened to your dad? He said, look what God did. Nebuchadnezzar's heart began to be hard towards sin. Nebuchadnezzar's heart began to be hard towards God. So what did God do? God intervened. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from a kingly throne, and they took him from glory. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like beasts, and the dwelling was with wild asses, and they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whosoever he will. Let me tell you what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. God made Nebuchadnezzar like a beast, and Nebuchadnezzar lost all of his authority, all of his fame, all of his power, all of his pleasures, and now he's dwelling in the fields like an animal. And finally he says, wait a minute, this ain't right. God, you're the God of heaven. Aren't you glad today God got his attention? You say, God wouldn't go to those depths. He will. He loves you that much. But Belshazzar didn't learn. Look what it goes on to say. Verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thy heart, though thou knewest all this. In other words, in light of all that you knew what God did in your father and the change that took place in his heart, you're blind to it. But has lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wife and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. In other words, let me put it to you another way. What's this accomplishing for you? And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and who are all thy ways, hath thou not glorified? Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing, was written. 
In other words, Daniel says to Belshazzar, do you not see God's trying to do for you what he did for your father Nebuchadnezzar? But here was the difference. Belshazzar wouldn't heed the voice of God. And if you'll read the last verse of that chapter, it said that night, Belshazzar was slain. Sin's arrogance. You'll be blinded to the consequences. You'll be blinded to any concern. Sin's ambition. Go back to verse 5. Watch what it says. Neither keepeth at home. You say, preacher, what's that mean? Oh, listen. It's loaded. Neither keepeth at home. What does that mean? It means neither stays at home. You say, preacher, what's significant about that? Because here's what it's saying. That the desire that's been created in the heart of Babylon, Belshazzar, was so much a passionate desire. There was no time to stay at home because they always were relentlessly pursuing their sinful ways. In other words, it became a relentless desire. The text here means that instead of abiding in home, nonstop, with all passion and zeal, they could not have their desire in any way, shape, or form taken care of. And so they kept relentlessly going after their desire and their wants. And they couldn't find any peace because there was still something else they wanted and something else they wanted to gain. This is what sin will do. Sin will make you relentlessly pursue the desire of sin that was in your heart. And you can not, listen to me, you cannot overcome it by yourself. Only God can do that in you. Only God can do it in you. But not only was it a relentless desire, it was a restless desire. When it uses this term, that keepeth at home, here's the way the interlinear, which is the Hebrew version of the Old Testament, here's the way it reads in the interlinear, is never at rest. Let me ask you a question. When you work a hard day's work, you have a day where you've went out and you've, you've worked overly hard, and, and by the end of your day, you are absolutely physically spent. Any of y'all ever had one of those days? What's the only comfort you have that you know is in your future as soon as you get in your car and leave your work. You're home. How many of you agree that when you're at home? Well, let me rephrase that. Some of you mamas might not be able to say this. But how many of you agree at home, there's times you can rest? But see, here's what sin does. Sin creates in a person a relentless pursuit for their desires. And that relentless pursuit for their desires can never be achieved. I entitled this message this, The Unattainable Quest of Sin. 
Because here's what you're going to find about sin. You'll never reach the end of the rainbow. You never will. You may think you can find happiness. You may think you can find joy. You may think you can find all these things, but you'll never, ever be able to rest. Here's what he says to Habakkuk. Listen, Habakkuk, I know, I know Babylon. I know Belshazzar. I know all about them. And he says their sin is going to do them in. But see, they don't know that. And they're relentlessly pursuing what they want. But yet in relentlessly pursuing what they want, they have no rest whatsoever. Well, look fourthly at sin's appetite. Look what it says. Who enlargeth his desire as hell. Now first, let's translate here. The word desire, what's the translation of it? 475 times in the Old Testament. It's translated soul. 475 times. Here's the way it reads. Who enlargeth his soul as hell. Now you say, preacher, what in the world does that mean? Well, remember what your soul is, your mind, motion, and will. So here's what it's talking about. It's talking about that this desire that they're relentlessly pursuing and cannot find any rest in pursuing becomes an unfettered lust. You say, what do you mean? There becomes no boundaries. You say, what do you mean? Because here's what happens. It begins to enlarge your soul. And you say, what do you mean enlarge your soul? Here's what happens. It begins to so captivate your way of thinking and your mind that you can't get it off your mind. You can't get it off your thinking. Hey, listen, if you've ever been addicted to anything, I promise you, you go out without it just a little while. It consumes your mind. Then it consumes your emotions. It becomes a passion to you. And you can't ever quench the passion till you find it again. But then it conquers your will. Because when your mind becomes so consumed by it and your emotions become so wrapped up in it, your will eventually will act upon it. But here's what this text is saying. Their soul becomes as large as hell. And you say, what is that saying? Well, can I tell you something? As many lost souls will be added to hell over the histories. There's always room for more. It's never full. As sin begins to capture your mind, your emotions, and your will, here's what you're going to find. There's always room for more. Because as I said, there's no end to the rainbow. But notice what it goes on to say. Not only do you find in this sin's appetite an unfettered lust, but you see an unquenchable lust. Notice what it goes on to say. And is as death and cannot be satisfied. Here's the way it reads in the original Hebrew. It reads this way in the original Hebrew, that you have such an unquenchable lust that it's just as death. You say, what do you mean it's just as death? Let me ask you a question. Unless the rapture happens, what are every one of us in this building going to experience? Can I ask you a question? Is there ever a time the grave is start, going to stop declaring for a body? The word death here speaks of the grave. And the grave longs for more and more and more and more. Well, can I tell you what your sin longs for? More and more and more and more. 
Proverbs chapter 15. The horse lease had two daughters. Crying, give, give. That's what your sin is saying. Feed, feed. And here's what's unique about sin. The more you feed it, the hungrier it gets. How many of y'all ever me, heard me use this term? That with church, if you have to reach them from, for with a hot dog, you're going to have to keep them with a steak. Well, can I tell you, your sin's the same way. You feed your flesh, and here's what you're going to find. You're going to find you've got a tapeworm, and you can't ever, ever get rid of the appetite. But listen to this proverb. He says, the horse leaf had two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that can never satisfy. Yea, four things say not it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that saith not, it is enough. Let me tell you what your sin cries to you every day. It's not enough. I need more. Give, give! I'm still hungry. Now, y'all still love me, right? Y'all hadn't heard me preach one of these in a long, long time. All right, now watch this. So not only do you see an unfettered lust and an unquenchable lust, but an unending lust. Watch what it says. It says it's as enlarged as his desire as hell and is as death and cannot be satisfied. You know, I used to say this all the time. Sin for a lost person is fun for a season. Now, there is a fiber of truth to that, but I'm coming to believe that's not true at all in many ways. And you say, what do you mean? Because according to the text here, God says, Babylon's sin is like an unquenchable thirst that they can't ever quench. And therefore... Because it's an unquenchable thirst, it's an unending thirst, therefore, there's never a point they're ever satisfied with the sin that they're living in. And you say, what do you mean by that? Because there's got to be more. I want to tell you an amazing revelation. Are y'all sitting down? Can y'all handle this? Say amen. Are y'all sure? Now, this is deep. There's never been a drunk that never took his first drink. You say, where did it start? Come on. What's wrong with you? Are you Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? Youth, you better listen to me. Are you Mr. Goody Two-Shoes? Well, you one of them church folk. It ain't going to hurt you. Just try it. And one drink leads to another and another and another and another. And then you say in your heart, well, as long as I don't ever get drunk, I'm okay. And by the way, that's a lie. But you convince yourself. No one will ever know. But there's a word that you need to understand. Be sure your sin will find you out. There's never been a drug addict that didn't first experiment with their first drug. There's never been anybody that's been addicted to anything, nicotine, entertainment, pornography, or anything else that didn't first give themselves to it one time. And I guarantee you, here's what you said when you did. I'll never do it again. I just want to see it one time. To see what you don't understand. It changes how you think. And the sad part is, 
I'm just doing it to feel good. But it'll never satisfy you. Can I tell you what some people's addiction are? Sleep. You say, preacher, you've done went to prying now. You say, what do you mean sleep? Because you'd rather sleep than get up and spend time with God. It's an addiction. And here's what you're going to find. The more you sleep, you can't ever get enough of it. Fifthly, we see sin's activity, sin's arrogance, sin's ambition, sin's appetite. Notice, fifthly, sin's allurement. Notice what he says, but gather unto him all nations. And what do you mean, gather unto him? It means his allurement is to achieve and to gather and to gain and to gather and to gain. What is Babylon wanting to gather and gain? Here's what Babylon's wanting to gather and gain. Control, power, authority, dominance, wealth. And Babylon, God said, listen, he said they have an allurement about them, and they are relentless about it, that they're going to gather unto them all nations. Can I tell you why most people give themselves to sin? Because they convince themselves that they can control their own lives. Can I tell you why many of you teenagers Has so much trouble with parental authority. Howie, I'm going to step on your ground. Is that all right? Because you just don't like somebody that loves you telling you what you, want, what you don't want to hear. Oh, parents, don't look at them. You're the same way with God. You don't want God telling you what you can't and can't do. You don't want God telling you if you can come to church tonight or not. I'm my own person. No, you're not. You've been bought with a price. I can make my own decisions. No, you're not. You gave up all ownership of yourself when God saved you. And whether you know it or not, your time, your talents, your thoughts, your possessions, your ambitions, everything belongs to him. Be controlled by him, be governed by him, and be guided by him. And if you don't like it and you don't believe it, then you're probably not saved at all. Y'all love me? Say amen. I'm sorry, I'm fired up. Lastly, sin's attainment. And heapeth unto him all people. The word heap means to, to, to accumulate. To continue to accumulate. Remember, nothing satisfies him. So he's got to continue to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Now let me ask you a question. Did Babylon need these other nations? No. Would you agree with that? Say amen. But did they want these other nations? Yes. You see, here's the essence of sin. Sin is never, ever a need. Sin is always trying to fulfill a worldly won't. Because sin don't gain you anything. When you put it in the realm of eternity. No benefits. You say, well, my friends, they like me. Because of what I do. Because I'm acting like them. Can I say this with all the love I have in my heart? 
Will y'all let me say one more hard thing before I leave? If that's your mindset, then I want to ask you a question. Would you rather say no and resist temptation or spend eternity with hell with your friends you're so trying to please? The unattainable quest of sin. Now you say, well, preacher, I have one of those areas in my life that I'm dealing with. What do I do? I'm going to make it simple for you, okay? If you're saved, and there's something in your life you're dealing with, a sin in your life that's just eating your lunch, Here's where it begins. The Spirit of God is making that real to you. You have to begin by seeing it the way God sees it. If you don't see it as sin, you're never, ever going to deal with it. How many agree today if someone has cancer and the doctor says they have cancer and says, but it's 100% curable if you'll do this? And the person says, no, I'm not going to do that. How many agree that person's just denying they've even got it? So here's what you do. You see it for what it is. You confess it before God. And you let God work repentance in your heart. And you be willing to turn from it and never go back to it again. And you put every safeguard in place that you can't go back to it again. I deal with people all the time that have addictions to pornography and other things. And they say, preacher, I'm so sick of it. I don't want to do it anymore. And I said, okay, then you're in a great place. And here's what you need to do. You need to take your phone, turn it off. You need to take your computer, password protected, that only your wife can get on it. And you can't get on it without her. You need to do, wait a minute, preacher, wait a minute. I can't do that. And I said, then you really don't want deliverance. This is just words. You say, well, preacher, I, I drink, or I'm addicted to this or that. It's something you've got to go buy. Now, I'm so tired of it. I want, I want, I want freedom from it. Then I'm going to tell you what you can do. If you're really willing to repent of it, really willing to separate yourself from it, here's what you do. You give your wife all the cash. You don't ever carry $1 of cash. And every time you go buy something, you have to put it on a check card or on a credit card whereby she can always check what the transactions are. Or wives, maybe it's you. you then you do that with your husband. You see, it's not a matter of if I can turn from it. It's a matter of if you really want to or not. You acknowledge it. You confess it. You repent of it. Now, if you're not saved, what do I do? You ask God to show you. God, why can I do this? And while I'm doing it, it really and truly doesn't eat my lunch. And when God shows you, all you got to do is say yes. That's me. Yield yourself to him in faith and repentance as he works in your heart. Folks, this is not complicated. But here's what I'm trying to tell you today. This is the world we live in today. And if you're blind to that, I'm sorry, but it is. And parents, I guarantee you, you have no idea what your kids are exposed to on a daily basis. You may think you know, but you do not know. And you better start finding out. Because if you don't, 
The Bible says wine is like an adder. It's like a serpent. And one day it'll jump up and bite you. Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you for your truth, your word, for the admonition that you gave us in this passage. Father, even though the context is to Babylon, the principle applies through all of history, even today. And Father, maybe there's someone in here today, they're just... They're sick and tired of their sin. And Father, they just, they really want to be delivered. Father, would you show them what they need to see? Would you let them see about their sin what they need to see? See about themselves in relation to you they need to see. That Father, in you and you alone can they find that deliverance. But, Father, there may be an individual or individuals in here today that, Father, they really don't care. There's really no concern at all about how they're living. They know they're living in sin, but I'm a grown person. I can do whatever I want. Father, I want to thank you today that you're able to break up the fallow ground. You're able to soften the hardest heart. And, Father, maybe... Father, I pray this is not the case, but maybe you have to do to them what you did to Nebuchadnezzar. and You have to strip them of everything that they love, where they have no place to look but up. But Father, it would be far more glorious for them to have nothing and be saved than have everything and die without you. So, Father, whatever you need to do, however you need to do it, would you do it for your honor, your glory, and your namesake? And I'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said...